episode 75 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Pauly. As always, I'm joined by Bryson. How are you, Bryson? Doing great, Mark. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, and we don't have Jacob with us today. He has broken his Iron Man streak of something like three months. Um, unfortunately, he's busy this weekend, so we can't record with him, so it's just us two today. Yeah, he's here um, in our spirits, but good for him. He, he, he was here for at least 10 weeks. Uh, I, I don't know what to say. It's it's a record for his Iron Man streak, <laughs> and hopefully he can break it. You know, in my opinion, there's no chance he breaks 12 weeks. But good to you know what? Thank God he was here for the last three months. But it's good to talk. We'll talk about uh, some real baseball today. Yeah, well, things are kicking up for the Blue Jays. Of course, all these teams reporting to spring training or what is being branded by Major League Baseball as summer camp. And the Blue Jays actually starting a little bit late because of their border fiasco. But we think things are figured out now. They received federal approval to hold training in Toronto at the Rogers Centre with a, quote, modified quarantine, meaning that players are going to be living and staying in the Rogers Centre hotel and then playing in the Rogers Centre, obviously, and not really venturing into the outside world, which I think is probably the best course of action. But we still aren't sure what's happening with the regular season. The Blue Jays aren't going to be playing any exhibition games. Um, I think both of us are excited that the Blue Jays are going to be playing in Toronto, at least training camp, but I don't know if this is really the ideal situation given all the complications that come with it. Yeah, there's no way it does, but you know, I remember mentioning this to you guys. It, it, it's just crazy how a couple weeks go by. I, I remember mentioning it to you guys right away a few months, uh, a few weeks ago, almost a month ago, and you guys were looking at me like I was crazy. But with the recent spikes in these heavily baseball states, which is Florida, Texas, and Arizona, California, they're spiking. And I just didn't think it was a good environment for the Blue Jays to be in. But, hey, they're not even a guarantee to be playing regular season games here. And it's not ideal. But we, what we know now is the team is gathering in Dunedin, which is probably the best case scenario for them or the best strategy, rather than everybody flying in all over the country, is where you can gather the team in Dunedin. You can maybe do a workout. I, I'm not sure if maybe they did a workout yesterday, but I do know that they were, they're supposed to be flying in either today or tomorrow for those who passed all the screening tests. And then those who tested positive will be, I guess, staying back in Dunedin until they are tested negative, and then they will join the rest of the team in Toronto. So I guess that's the a good strategy for it. But in terms of playing regular season games here, I think these next few days will definitely have a big impact to see if this can be done. Because not only will the Jays be staying in the Rogers Center Hotel for this camp, if there's games in the regular season, they're likely going to have to stay there regardless. And if a visiting team, which is a whole different ball game, um, even what the federal government said, because you know there's no guarantee that they're going to get this approval to play games here. You need to see how the Blue Jays react with staying in a hotel room for, in this case, three weeks. Because if a visiting team comes here, it'll be for three or four days max, and then they're out of they're out, and then they're gone wherever the heck they play next, including the Jays. So I really do think that the Jays are going to be setting an example. And if this can be done well, I do think it increases their chances of playing here. But Based off of what I think, I don't, I don't think they come here not intending to play games in Toronto regardless. I do think that there's an expectation from them that they will get a federal approval. I'm not saying it's right, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that's where the Jays are standing at. And Mark Shapiro even was confident in himself. He said they're 80% there, in his opinion, and there's still a lot of things to be ironed out. Like we mentioned, Mark, last week, uh, if a visiting team comes here, but because I think the problem with this is, I really do think that 
people in Canada or across the country are okay with the Jays being here as long as they're following these guidelines and staying in the Rogers Center Hotel. But the thing that freaks people out is the visiting teams. And like I said in the a text with you guys, or I can't remember if I said it on last week's episode, you can't have Aaron Judge, for example, or Garrett Cole walking around Toronto in a three-game series eating on a patio. You, you can't have that because of, obviously, where they're coming from. Um, and especially New York, which has been a he- heavily hit state with COVID-19 these past three months. Who knows what they have with them, even if they're asymptomatic or even if they're not showing symptoms. And, hey, a couple days later, they end up showing symptoms. Well, look where they were in Toronto. Now you have to track down all those people and try and contact them, which is p- going to be pretty much impossible in terms of carrying the virus around with you. So there needs to be a proper plan in place. And I do think it's going to be, I do think it could be done, but it's still, it's still something where you have to expect the players to police themselves. And who knows if everybody's going to be on board with that. You just don't know. So how they police it, I'm not sure if there's security. You know, I don't want to say they're locked in, but pretty much this is the only way it's going to work because if this doesn't work, then the federal government has no problem kicking the Blue Jays out of Toronto and even the country. But Regardless, the Jays do have a plan A and plan B, and we are expected to know by next week what's going to be happening with regular season games. If it's not here, it will be in Dunedin. It won't be anywhere else. As we know, the taxi squad's supposed to be in Buffalo. So I guess if you're the Jays, you're obviously open to be in Toronto. And I know there's mixed uh, opinions about, you know, from the public or public citizens about the Jays being here. I know some people aren't comfortable. I know some people trust the players that they can follow proper guidelines. Uh, I really hope they, they, I think this could be done. But I'm not guaranteeing that it's going to be 100% certain that the federal government approves this. But again, not an ideal situation. Uh, the Jays are already going to be probably be behind three or four days based off of their timeline because they still haven't obviously all gotten gotten here yet. So they're looking at around two and a half weeks of spring training or spring training 2.0, whatever the heck you want to call it. Yeah, it, it really comes down to what happens in the regular season. Like you said, I don't think the Blue Jays are going into this with the expectation that they won't get federal approval for the regular season because otherwise there's not much point in going up to Toronto for two and a half weeks and then coming right back down to Dunedin. So I think they, the team and Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins, they have an expectation of getting federal approval for the regular season, but you know whether that actually happens and whether they do get kicked out after their summer camp because this is an experiment. Like It could go wrong. It could turn out this system doesn't work. You know, you have players who are supposed to be staying in the stadiums, but you also have players, you know, on a regular basis that might have a curfew after a game and don't obey the curfew. You know, so I I don't know if players are going to be obeying this. I don't know if it's actually going to work, even if they are obeying this, because there's stadium workers coming in and out of the stadium. You know, they have to get food into the stadium. It's not like they're living in a perfect bubble. So... I think there is a real chance that after this two and a half weeks, if they haven't already got federal approval, there's chances that this could go wrong. Um, But like you said, the real crux of this is the visiting teams. And I think it will be difficult for even just the Blue Jays because you don't want to be living in a hotel for three months. But at the same time, Major League Baseball is leaving the regulations and the restrictions for individual teams in terms of COVID-19. They are requiring, you know, testing, um, statistics to be released, are requiring some stipulations in terms of health protocols, but a lot of stuff is being left up to the teams. So when you have another team, let's say it's the Phillies who are going to be playing the Blue Jays this year, coming into Toronto, they have a completely different team protocol. You know, are they going to be able to come into Toronto and 
live safely in the city for three days without infecting other people? That's a big question, you know, and that's the the crux of this conversation about whether the Blue Jays are going to be able to play home games. And you mentioned the criticism from fans, even though, you know, you would think logically people want to play baseball in Toronto, but there is a lot more to it. There was a piece published in the Toronto Star this morning or yesterday, I believe, that was talking about uh, a letter sent to Mark Shapiro by a baseball fan who was saying, no, don't have games in Toronto. Like, it is not safe. It's not worth the risk to our community, which I completely understand. I completely respect that perspective. I don't know if I agree with that perspective, but it's certainly a valued opinion and a valuable opinion to have in this conversation. So, it's really interesting to see how things will shake up, and we are getting a little bit of a picture into how things are shaking up in terms of Major League Baseball testing. Um, of course, Major League Baseball has said that all test results are going to be public, with exception of the players. The players themselves are going to be test uh, are kept private if they do test positive, but Major League Baseball will announce the aggregate numbers, and the first release of that we saw yesterday, and um, they said 1.2% of all players and personnel tested. It was about, I think it was over 3,000 um, people tested in total. 1.2% tested positive. That was 38 positives out of the over 3,000 that I mentioned. So, I mean, that's an encouraging number. But at the same time, these players haven't been together. They haven't been working out together. So, Again, the crux of this comes down to whether you can control visiting teams and whether this experiment actually works in the two and a half weeks we have before the regular season starts. Yeah, it's an encouraging number. Um, it is, flat out, because what we were expecting was a, a massive number, a massive percentage, just because of where these players were living. And again, the, hev- the, heavily, the heavy baseball states are one of the... Are, are, part of the states that are seeing spikes in COVID, which again are Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, and a few more. Pretty much most of the U.S. case numbers are going up. So there was a concern of that. And when you look at it, compared to the NBA, when their testing came, um, they actually, a few days ago, released more, you know, announced there was more positive tests and a percentage for that would be around 7% of the entire league. So when you compare it to baseball, it's definitely a massive, you know, it definitely... Uh, when you look at the baseball side of things, they're definitely in more, a better spot. It's definitely encouraging to see. But the, like you said, Mark, this needs to be sustained in order for a season to get played. And who knows what's going to happen? We we really don't know where we'll be even in two weeks, like you said, after more tests come out because daily testing or occurring test, occurrence of testing is going to have to be done for this to be, um, you know, for them to at least try. So you know, I was very impressed with the number. Now, maybe because of all the media criticism and the backlash that people were getting, maybe there was a bit of media fear that we were expecting a huge number. And maybe the media didn't even know. You know, I, I kind of blame the media a little bit for this because, I don't know, I, it's it just, in my opinion, it's like they want people to be infected. I just, I, I don't understand all the criticism they're getting for trying to play. So once the number came out yesterday, I was very impressed. And I actually wasn't too surprised that it was lower than anticipated because of that. But look... They're going to be, like you said, they haven't been together at all. Now they're starting to be together. We've seen stuff that they're doing around the ballparks in terms of, you know, social distancing and disinfecting balls. There's been pictures. Um, I don't know what park it was at. I want to say it was Fenway Park or it was maybe it was City Field. There was a bucket of baseballs and about five guys social distance around a, a bucket of baseballs just disinfecting it. And these are things that are going to be hap- happening this year if you want to try and keep these, you know, these 
positive percentages down. Another example would be, I don't, I'm sure you've seen it too, Mark, at Fenway Park. They've converted a suite into a mini clubhouse for two players. Uh, there was a video, I think it was Michael Chavis on the the Red yeah, Sox. Yeah. It was, or yeah. And when you he he went in, he he went into the suite, and it, it's cool. You have two clubhouses or like little two locker room stalls. It's not even a clubhouse. So these are creative things that will have to be done this year. And I think no fans being there is definitely gonna you know it's definitely making it work. Obviously, if you want to compare it or convert a suite into two stalls. So these are lots of things that we ha- that we're starting to see that are going to have to be done. There was a picture at Safeco Field where there was about five players pretty much separated by a row um, of seats, just one row, and they were sitting by themselves eating lunch or eating food. So it's going to be up to the players. It has a massive, massive responsibility up to the players. They're going to have to self-police themselves. And the one thing you want to look at it too is these players don't want to take away the chance to poten- potentially win a World Series. You don't want to put anything in jeopardy, but unfortunately not all, all every player's mindset is like that. Uh, another example, we know Mike Trout, he's coming out saying, and he's the best player in baseball, so him saying this is massive, that he doesn't feel comfortable playing. And he's expecting, or him and his wife are expecting the birth of their child around August. He still doesn't know if he's going to end up playing, but he is at camp right now. He's been wearing masks even during drills, which is, he's one of the lone players that we've seen be doing that. But I don't know where we go from this. It's definitely a great start and it's something that's going to have to be sustained for this to happen, you know, if you have a massive outbreak where percentages of cases in the MLB continue to go up, you know, there needs to be a line drawn, like we've mentioned before, where Commissioner Manfred comes out and says that, all right, you know, we tried, but we have to pack it in. We have to try again next year because this just won't work out. And that goes for every other sport, but it's a great start for MLB players testing at such a low percentage. And you hope it's, you hope it keeps up, but unfortunately it, you know, none of us have a, you know, none of us have a crystal ball where we can, definitely tell that this is going to stay the same get better or even get worse yeah and i mean i like the creative approaches that many baseball teams are taking you mentioned the red sox converting their suites to mini clubhouses for the players and the red sox also actually converted the concourse in fenway park to kind of a workout zone they had weight machines and turf all around the concourse for practicing and training which was really cool and it was a nice kind of creative open air way to train well being more socially distant being more safe than you would if you were you know just in the clubhouse with you know close confines to every other player but it's going to take creative thinking and, and creative approaches to get baseball played this season and I do think as I've mentioned before there is a huge risk to doing this and baseball so far has earned my trust with how they're doing things. We You mentioned the 1.2% um, testing positive rate. I just looked it up. The NBA has 25 out of 351 players testing positive, which is a 7.1% positive rate. So I don't know the differences in the MLB and NBA protocols for testing, but it is encouraging that baseball so far at least is doing a little bit better than the NBA is in terms of positive tests. So it's a give and take. And again, this is a conversation we're going to be having for weeks, if not months, in terms of player safety. How do you approach this? How do you handle the situations? But I mean, so far, what it boils down to is MLB has done a good job so far, as we've seen from the numbers. We just have to see if it 
keeps up when these players are actually together. So it's an interesting world to be living in, but as part of that interesting world, there are no longer fans in the stands, obviously, but some teams have been taking creative approaches to this. We saw the Oakland Athletics put out a statement saying that I think it's for $80 you can buy a cutout of yourself to be put into the stands and then for a little bit of an extra um, sum of money you get to put in a foul ball zone which if the foul ball hits your cutout you get shipped the foul ball so again creative approaches lots of fun things happening I think the Brewers are doing something similar so it it's an opportunity for creative approaches and fun things happening this season. Absolutely, it is, and you know, teams are going to have to try and make money somehow. Uh, I know they're not; it's not a lot, but it's definitely, I guess, something. And you know, if you're cutting out fans or cutting out, um, pla- like you said, just billboards of their faces or uh, signs or pla- you know, it, I think it's really cool. I think I would do it if I was a season ticket holder or whatnot, and I think it'd be really cool for. I guess even if you're watching on TV to see it in the background, you know, trying as much as it's obviously fake, it, it's probably better than seeing an empty seat. We've been seeing this all, also in uh, Korea and Japan, even though Korea is now moving closer to allowing fans in the stadiums. But even in soccer, we've seen we've seen this all over sports of you know plastic cutout signs of people's faces. So I think it's really cool, and I I hope the Jays can try and do something. I know that they're probably a little bit behind on this because a they don't even know where they're playing. You know, it would just be it would make it really normal. Like let's say they get clearance from the government, it would, it would it would be really cool if they would allow a plastic um, cutout sign of the old lady behind home plate. I think that would make it complete <laughs> for everybody. But yeah, I, I give, I'd give teams credit for trying. You know, even if who knows what they're going to do with all these lower level seats that are going to be empty? Are they going to add more sponsorships, uh, sponsorships or ads across the stadiums and be like you said behind home plate? Um, there's going to be plastic cutout signs of fans. So I think it's really cool. Um, I like to see the Jays do something again, but hopefully, hopefully they do do something. But you know, another another thing maybe that they would add would be artificial crowd noise. I don't know where your stand is on that mark, but I do know that's probably in the discussions as well. Um, I don't even know how I would react to it. Just kind of hearing some sense of normalcy with fans in the background, but when you look back, you don't see anybody. So I think it would be definitely bizarre. It's going to be bizarre for the next little while. But you know, I, I like the creativity from teams and. You know, they're trying to make, I guess, some sort of money. It's not going to probably make a difference, but, you know, they, they def- they're definitely trying, and I give them a lot of credit for it. And I think once I think once the season gets closer, I think we're going to see a lot of this. I think we're going to see more of this come out from different teams across the league. Yeah. In terms of artificial crowd noise, I honestly don't know. Like, in the few games that I watched um, in the Taiwan Baseball League, like, I, I don't think they had artificial crowd noise in that. If they did, I didn't notice. But I didn't really mind it being quiet. Um, I, I think it's kind of just a, a price that obviously you're going to have to pay when there's no baseball fans in the stadium. So, um, yeah, I, honestly, I don't think it's necessary. I think we can watch the game without it, and it'll be fine. I've also seen, uh, I don't know where it was, but a soccer league that had not just artificial uh, fan noise, but artificial fans themselves. They had kind of computer-generated fans in the stands, which did not look realistic at all. It didn't look good at all, and I think that is totally unnecessary because ultimately, like, even if it is weird, it does look weird, it does sound weird, but it's the game that we're playing. Like, we're not being disillusioned that there actually are fans in the stadium. Like, it's... 
I'm at peace with what's going to happen this year. So, um, but yeah, if the Blue Jays came out and figured out their situation when they, if, when and if they find out they're playing in Toronto or Dunedin, um, and they say, yeah, we're doing this cardboard cutout thing, I would be the first one to put in my money. Um, you know, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever, how much, how much it is. Um, I'd be totally down for this. This sounds like a really fun thing to do and something at least to get a little bit involved with the team this year, even when we can't get all that involved. Yeah. And you might get a foul ball from it as well. So yeah, that would be exactly. really cool. Yeah. And you know, artificial crowd noise too, going back to that. I just, I don't like it personally. Um, I know the the big fetish with what people want now is they want to hear the players mic'd up or they want to be able to hear what the players actually say. So who knows if that's going to be legit because, you know, there's definitely a chance that players will know that there's going to be nobody in the stands. So they might be a little more cautious of, you know, of what they're going to be saying. But I would definitely be on board too for paying for a cardboard cutout. Uh, it definitely gives me the, it get, gives me a chance to get a foul ball, which would be really cool. And even for even other than the money or the low money that the team would make from this, it, it keeps the fans engaged and it keeps the fans involved, like you said. So you want to do that. You want to keep fans in touch with the game. You know, it's going to be the only way to watch. Obviously, would be watching from TV. But it'd be cool. It's cool for the fans to try and keep people there for you know for the scenario when fans do return at some point in the future. You know, you want people to come back. Uh, at a normal rate or even at a better rate than before. So I think it's a really good idea that they're doing this, and I really hope more teams do this closer to when opening day is supposed to be, which would be on July 23rd. Yeah. Well, moving on, I guess, now to the next topic on our list. I should just mention that, of course, the Blue Jays um, announcing their 60-man roster pool, of which they will pull the active 30-man roster, of course, expanded to 30-man from the typical 22. 5 slash 26 is what it was going to be this year. Um, And interesting on that, the Blue Jays had 58, and then they added four players, took away four players. Um, And the four players they took away, they said they went to the injured list. Lots of speculation over whether they did test positive for COVID-19. Not really important, I would say, because the season hasn't started yet. And of course, it is a private private medical matter, but thought I would just mention that. And as part of that, we saw the Blue Jays announcing their opt-outs, which is zero. No players have decided to opt out of playing this season. We spoke a few episodes back about our speculation of who would opt out, but right now the Blue Jays having all players um, with all hands on deck, we've seen players across Major League Baseball, whether it's you know Ryan Zimmerman or players speaking out, like Mike Trout saying he doesn't really feel safe playing baseball. But the Blue Jays, right now, we haven't really heard anything about players opting out or even players, you know, saying that they're uncomfortable with playing. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Bryson, but um, it's a pretty simple piece of news. Yeah, I'm not totally surprised, and we knew we knew that this was going to happen with a few players opting out, but. Um, I think at first, I think it was another thing where people were over-exaggerating. I think that realistically there was going to be people opting out, but it wasn't going to be at a steady rate. It wasn't going to be at a high rate where you're like, holy moly. But I do think there's going to be a few more names before, or I, I don't, I'm not sure if they've passed the deadline or, you know, maybe they back up before the season and Mike Trout's another one that's possible. But I just don't think that we're going to get many more players opting out, but there, there will definitely be some. And, you know, if, if you're looking at Mike Trout, can you imagine the bombshell that he would drop if he backed out of the season. Not only would he hurt the Angels' chances of going on a playoff run, but he's you know he's arguably the best player of, in baseball, and in my opinion, he is, and I think you agree. If he would just back out of the season like that, and you're missing the best player in baseball 
for the 2020 season. So I think that would be a huge, huge loss for the game. But when you look at this, you you can't, you know, we're, we have no right to judge because they're obviously going to be risking their lives for this. So I do think that's this is something that we all need to come to peace with. And I think so far that with the players who have announced that they're opting out, I don't think there's been any backlash from what I've seen. I've seen, you know, people respecting the choices, you know, especially someone like Ryan Zimmerman who didn't know what was going on for his career after the 2020 season. He came back for one more year or he signed for one more year. I think he might have an option for next year. But, you know, for someone to back out of the season like that with his future in question regardless, I do think it it's definitely... A, um, a gutsy move from his part, and I give him a lot of respect for it. Ian Desmond's another one um, who has family issues, or um, he had fam- He was concerned for his family, and then he was talking about social ju- uh, justice problems around the, the game. Uh, it's just it's it's a common trend, in my opinion, for people who back out, and I think it's common sense as well. It's it's people who have families and people who are married. You're not going to see somebody who's in their twenties, you know, not married or have any kids. I it's very rare for them to. It would be very rare and be very surprising if they backed out of the season. It's going to be people who are, who have families and have kids. And Mike Trout is an example. Ryan Zimmerman is an example. And the one thing, too, is there's also players who are at high risk who haven't opted out. And one guy that comes to mind would be Anthony Rizzo on the Chicago Cubs, who is a cancer survivor from previous years. And he showed up, and he's ready to go. So I do think this is a mix of a lot of things where we, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to predict because we're not obviously in the players' minds. But... You know, you you regardless of who backs out and who wants to play, it doesn't surprise me. And it's we're obviously have no right to judge. The one thing that baffles me a little bit is that Blake Snell and uh, Bryce Harper were there no problem, and they were the ones saying that they didn't want to take any pay cuts at all this year. So that's funny how they quietly showed up to camp without anything going on. I, I'm not sure if they changed their opinion on it, but for a Blue Jay opting out, you know, I guess we all had the possibility that it was going to happen, but. At the end of the day, I'm not surprised. Uh, they're a young team, so it, they're definitely on one of the lower. You know, they're definitely their numbers of people opting out would definitely be lower than a, a veteran a veteran team. So, um, I, it, and for a baseball term, the Jays are ready to go. They're going to be healthy. They have everybody there, barring any injuries or, God forbid, any COVID updates. They're going to be ready to go. They have their full roster, and um, this is all they got for a potential playoff run. So it doesn't surprise me, but. We're no, no, we're we're not ones to judge if people want to opt out, and I think we would all come to peace with it, and I think we already have based off of what we've seen so far. So I think it's a good sign that, hey, this goes above baseball, this goes above sports, this is people's lives, what they are risking to go out and play, and we're not ones to judge if they don't feel comfortable playing. So good on them if they don't feel comfortable, and yeah, I just I'm I'm not surprised one bit though about the low number of people opting out or any Jays opting out. Yeah, I think I did expect more people to opt out. Honestly, I did expect a few Blue Jays to opt out, but at the same time, I don't really know why, because like, there's no precedent for this situation. Like we really have nothing to base our predictions off of. So while I am surprised like, at the same time, this is the first time we've ever experienced anything like this. So I, (laughs) like there, I, I didn't know what to expect. So here we are. But like you said, it's really good that we haven't seen criticism against these players because if you're deciding to opt out, it is a entirely personal decision. You know, we can't sit here and say, oh, why did Ryan Zimmerman 
opt out. Like, yeah, he has kids, he has a wife, but why did he opt out? Or why did Ian Desmond opt out? Or why isn't a guy like Dusty Baker opting out when he's, you know, he's older, he has underlying health conditions? Why isn't he opting out? Like, I, I think we have to respect the players and coaches and personnel decisions based on whatever they have going on in their life and their weighing of the pros and cons because we're not in their shoes and we don't know what they're going through. We don't know the risks and rewards for them or, you know, their underlying health conditions if they have any. So, yeah, I'm really encouraged that we haven't seen any public criticism of these players for deciding to opt out because it's, like you said, a courageous decision. I 100% respect these guys for opting out or not opting out. I even applaud some of their decisions. So, yeah, it's uh, honestly like this was a situation we came into. We have absolutely no base to compare it to. So, I, I think we're learning on the fly as we watch what happens this year. Um, but to wrap things up today, you had a segment that you wanted to introduce, Bryson, in terms of predictions for this season. Yeah, I uh, I came up with a few lists of things that could potentially happen this year. Uh, some are across, most are about the Blue Jays personally, and some I guess would be or there's one about all of baseball. So how it works is I I give I'll give you a sentence mark. Uh, and you'll have four options. You'll have unlikely to happen, possible, likely, or certain that you're almost guaranteed for it to happen. So I'll, I'll start with a few here. Um, the first one I have for you is the Blue Jays make the postseason. Unlikely, possible, likely, or certain. I'd say possible. Possible, yeah. Um, I do I do as well. I just, I was, before before all this happening, I was kind of on the likely side, but... When you look at it as well, when you look at the teams they do have to play, they have an incredibly tough schedule ahead of them. They have to play uh, the Yankees, the Rays, those, and the Red Sox. I guess those would be the biggest challenges in the AL East. Yeah, I think lot, if you, yeah. I, I think if you look at the schedule from 2019, the Blue Jays are in the division with the most teams that finished above 500 in 2019. Yeah, absolutely. And then all the NL, NL East teams are going to have to play. So I do know the playoff odds went up. I think it's around 15% now. Uh, for 162 games, it was I think it was barely over one percent. So that definitely a good uh, a good percentage jump. But we we know how this is going to work for them if they want to get in. They're going to have to get off to a very fast start and potentially hold around the 500 mark, regardless. You know, after one month or even a month and a half. So it's definitely possible. But I've kind of lost a little bit of optimism for that. I'm going to say possible. And uh, but you you know we definitely can't rule it out. And the second one I have for you, Mark, is. The Blue Jays are better than the Red Sox in 2020. I'd say certain. Certain? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even if it's not realistic, I just want it to happen. So I'm saying certain. And yeah, in my opinion, this this is the this is one of the big hurdles that they're going to have to climb or surpass if they are going to possibly make the playoffs. I think this is going to be the deciding factor is if this team can potentially leapfrog the leapfrog the Red Sox this year because we all know it's going to be a it's going to be a wild card chance for them. I, you know, I think everyone knows that the Yankees. Or even the Rays, I guess you want to give them consideration that the AL East is probably going to be going to one of those two teams. So, the from in my opinion, that's going to be one of the deciding factors if this team can hold off the Red Sox and potentially get into a wild card spot. Like I, I realize that the Red Sox are still a good team. Like they're probably going to finish above five hundred this year, or at least I would have expected them to if it was a one hundred and sixty-two game season. So, I, I realize that they are a good team, but at the same time, they are 
taking a step back this year in the training of Mookie Betts, David Price, and I feel like they don't have momentum on their side, whereas the Blue Jays are, I, I think they're a very young team, they have a lot of talent, and they are very hungry for a postseason berth, a championship. So I think the Blue Jays have momentum on their side, whereas the Red Sox, when they may have talent on their side, they don't have that same momentum. Yeah, the, the, the momentum based off of the baseball world is definitely, it isn't there compared to the Jays, and who knows, you know, I, I haven't spoken to any Red Sox fans of how optimistic they are this year, so either that either they're not optimistic or they just don't know what's going to happen. But yeah, that'll definitely be a deciding factor. Uh, the next one I have is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits at least 10 home runs in 60 games. That's a tough one. I'll say likely. Yeah, likely or possible for me. Um, I know he, he had 15 home runs last year, and it was, it was around 500 at-bats, but we know Vladimir Guerrero Guerrero Jr. had a slow start or a slow transition to the major league level compared to someone like Bo Bichette. But this is one player that I've circled on my radar this year for a breakout season. I think everybody has, and I think everyone's expecting it. So I do think that he will, I'm going to say likely, I, I think he hits at least 10 home runs. And I do think that he lives up to the hype that he has around him because not only does he have hype, but he's supposed to be one of the best players on this team, if not the best player on this team. Yeah, if you think about like this season proportionally, a sixty games is a little bit less than uh, one third of the normal length of a season. So if Flatty was playing a full season this year, if you put him at like 27, 28 home runs, even though he only hit fifteen last year and almost a full season, I think that's reasonable. Like I think a lot of people expect him to be better than last year and have some sort of power this year. So. I, yeah, I, I think 10 is likely. All right, the next one. Bo Bichette hits around 330 to 350. So 330 at the worst, 350 at the best. Oh, I think that's unlikely. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I don't see, you know, I, I do think he has the potential to do it. But the one thing that we saw from Bo Bichette last year was he didn't really go through any slumps. He kind of adapted quick, and he was somebody that caught on to Major League Pitching right away. So it'll be interesting to see if he goes through any sort of slump this year. I know it's 60 games, but I do think he's destined for a little bit of a cold spell. I hope not. But I do think if there's no cold spell, I do think it's definitely possible. But I'm going to say unlikely as well, just because, yeah, hey, that's a lot of... Yeah, if he came out of the yeah. gate blistering hot, like he kind of did last year, um, I think he could hit that. But I, I think in all likelihood, he won't come out that hot. Because yeah. I'm sure there was a period of 60 games last year where he hit near 330 or 300 or something but um I yeah I don't really see it happening but if anyone on this Blue Jay team was going to hit 330 or above I think it would be Bobachet definitely uh and I think we'll we'll see a lot of it this year from around Major League Baseball we're gonna see that we're gonna see low batting averages it's not gonna be what we usually see it'll either be really inflated or really low and that brings me to my next one uh he and Jin Rio posts an ERA under two. Oh. I'll say that's possible. See, I'm I'm torn on this one because I know he's... Well, first of all, you're going to get around 12 starts from him or 10 starts. And he's going to be pitching in a harder division in the AL East. But he also has to face the NL East. But I'm sure he's more familiar with the National League anyway. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say likely. I do think Ryu can post an ERA. Or even if it's not under two, I think it could be around two. I think he has the stuff to do it. And I do think if you're getting him for a short season, I do think it's even more likely than not. So maybe if he was playing a regular season against the ALE solely and then, you know, a regular schedule format, I don't know if it's possible. I don't even know if he can get it. You know, there's definitely a chance it can be over 
slightly over three because we know he's going to be adapting to major league ballparks, hitter-friendly ballparks, including Rogers Center. But he does have some familiarity with the National League. So I do like the chances of that happening. And especially for 60 games, you're only going to get 12 starts out of him. He's going to be fresh. He's going to be healthy. And I do think it's possible. Yeah, because last year, I think his ERA was like 2.32. It was somewhere yeah. around there. And that like led all of baseball. So I I don't know how likely it is that he could you know cut his ERA by a third of a run at the same time when he already led all of baseball last year, if that makes sense, because he was so good last year. I don't know mm-hmm. if he could really make that much of a difference. But, again, I'll say it again, but anything can happen this year, yeah. which is what makes it so exciting to watch this season. And, I mean, as you said, if he's only making, like, 10 or 12 starts, and, I mean, he is getting older, but I guess innings pitch was kind of a concern previous in his career because he has had injuries previously, um, and there's concerns when he was signed whether the Blue Jays could actually keep him healthy for the four-year deal they got him on. So if he's pitching fewer innings, maybe he has some sort of, you know, he he's better rested, he's... Um, you know, more talented. I We could look at his splits from the first half of last year compared to the second half. I don't know if that would reveal anything, but it's a, it's an interesting question. I'll put it. Yeah. Like it's that possible, but I don't, I don't think it's likely just given his performance last year compared to the, the rest of the league. Mm-hmm. Based, based off his past, this is definitely a season that he would like based off of the injuries. And it was something that he sustained, like you said, for majority of the year. I think the only team that hit him around pretty good was when he went to Coors Field in Colorado where his ERA was almost like at 7. I think he was knocked around pretty good at Coors Field. So I guess if he didn't make those starts at Coors Field, it could potentially be well below 2. So that was the only team that really got to him this year. All right, I have four more. Wait, just to go back to uh, Ryu, sorry about that, but I was looking up his stats for last season, his first half versus second half stats. And indeed, in the first half of last year with the Dodgers, he went 10-2. and two with a 1.73 ERA and 17 starts. So it's possible he could do it. Absolutely. And that's that's what gave me the gave me the you know the idea of doing this because he got off to a quick start and again, if he didn't pitch those games at Coors Field, it probably could have finished around there as well. So anyways, back to the next one again, mm-hmm. sorry. Is Nate Pearson makes the opening day roster? I'll put that one as possible as well. Yeah. See at first I didn't think it was going to happen. I, I, I think I, I even said it was like unlikely to happen. But in my defense, uh, I don't think any of us really knew what was going to happen with the minor league season or these taxi squads. But I don't know how I can't. Is there a service time thing that they have to go by again this year? Or is that already out the window? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how that's yeah. working. But I, so if yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good point because there's no minor league season. So if the Blue Jays don't have him pitching... And if the service time requirements are messed up, like there, he would just wouldn't be pitching for like what, like a month, two months. Over, like, like yeah. How to? I exactly. don't know how that works. So yeah, actually, I'll yeah, I'll put it up to likely that he makes the opening day roster. Yeah, I'm even more optimistic. I think this is certain to happen. And after do you know going through this, if this team wants to make a playoff run, I do think he is one of the X factors that will have to be you know, included in this. I do think he's a young arm coming up. Who knows if he even starts the year in the rotation. I don't know how the heck they're going to handle this, but 
he's definitely he we know he's on the player pool and I do think it's certain he makes the opening day roster maybe they start with a six-man rotation there's so many things that they can do like you said there's so many questions there's not even good predictions if there'll even be a five-man rotation but I do think Nate Pearson makes it certainly and I do think that you know barring any service time implications I don't know how it works I know you know I know we went over it a little bit a few months ago but I kind of forgot about it but I, I do think we're definitely on the same page for that I do think he is a lock, in my opinion, to make this this roster out of opening day, especially because it starts at 30, and then I think it slowly goes down after a few weeks. And by I think by the end of August, it's going to be back down to 26. So I don't know about that point, but I do think he makes it w- with a 30-man roster to start the season. Yeah, definitely. It's I, I wouldn't put it a turn, at least for me, because like as we've said, there's so much up in the air. But I definitely think with the fact that there's no minor league season, that makes it likely. Yeah, yeah, who knows? And I, I know there's been also some, I think there was any concerns of throwing problems from him. So maybe he benefits from a shortened season if it's his rookie year. Yeah. But yeah, who knows where we are. But uh, the next one I have is, you know, I know Austin Martin, first of all, the Blue Jays finally signed him yesterday. And I do know that uh, there's been a lot of changes they made to the 60-man player pool. But the question I have is, you know, before obviously opening day, I'm not saying he, he you know, it's obviously unlikely he, he's going to be on the roster, but what do you, what do you think the chances are of him being added to the 60 man player pool? I think it's likely because, or actually I'll put it up to certain just because like, yeah, I don't think he's ever actually going to be put on the 30 man roster this season, but like we said, there's no minor league season. So I think there was another team who signed their first round pick and put him on the the 60 man player pool because yep. like they're not getting work anywhere else but if you put them on the 60 day player pool and obviously you know half of these players on the pool are not going to make the opening day roster so you know you can sacrifice one of the players like ultimately a lot of these people on the 60 man player pool don't matter so if you sacrifice one of the spots you bring this first round pick to camp First off, they get exposure to all these Major League Baseball players, which is a great thing for them, period. And then second off, they get to train for a few months, you know, instead of sitting at home because there's no minor league season. So, yeah, I'd, I'd put it at certain because there's no reason why the Blue Jays shouldn't, especially, as I said, you have a few expendable spots on this 60-man player pool because it's so large comparatively to the size of the actual roster. I know, I know they're, they've made a few changes. Like you said, Brandon Jury, Elvis Luciano, among a few players who have been removed from it. I think, you know, I, I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but I think we know what's going on there. And, you know, there's a lot of changes they can make before July 23rd, but I'm certain on this as well. And the, the first round pick you were referring to, Mark, was the first overall pick, Spencer Torkelson out of Detroit. And there's even some speculation that he might even play this year. Who knows oh, if that's wow. true? Who knows if it's good for him? But we know how much of a disaster the Tigers are. But if you want to relate this to Austin Martin, you know, it's, in my opinion, it's almost impossible he plays this year. But hey, who knows? Uh, I know his coach at Vanderbilt thinks he can play now, but I do think he will be on the 60-man player pool to, you know, spend some time in Dunedin. And to wrap it up, I've got one more question, and this goes throughout all of baseball. And this is going to be the controversial one. So let's hear it. There will be fans in the stands by the end of the season. Are we talking like universally or in like just one stadium? Base. uh, Well, uh, I'll, I'll just start with baseball. Okay. But is it like, like if the Texas Rangers had fans in the stands in like September, would that count 
as yeah like any team like anybody okay. it doesn't okay. mean like they all 30 of them go but at least a few teams allow fans in the stands okay i i'll put that as certain i think it's pretty likely of course maybe now it's a little bit less likely now that you know arizona florida and texas are having resurgences and not even really second waves of, of a peaking of the first wave so maybe it's a little bit less likely now than it was say a month ago but i i'll put it certain just given you know the 30 markets that we have the the two countries that we have even uh, yeah i'll put it certain yeah i won't go certain just because there's obviously not even, it's not even certain that they finish the season but i will put it as likely and for a few things there first of all a few examples is the chicago clubs Cubs have already gotten approval or or are likely getting approval from the state of allowing fans at the Wrigley Field rooftops. Mm. So I don't know if you see that, Mark, but it's in the outfield. I think it's in left field. I've been to Wrigley mm. Field. I know that. So I think it's in the left field. And what they want to do, it's around, I, I want to say it's around 20 to 25%, but that still seems a bit high. I don't know how many players are at or how many fans are allowed at the Wrigley Field roof, rooftops. And another team who is seeking clearance to do this is the New York Yankees, which is I can't believe that's even being discussed right now because of the cases that New York's had or, you know, what they're still dealing with. But apparently the governor is on board with it, too. Uh, They're hoping to get at least 25 percent to 30 percent by the end of the season. Uh, I think that's what Hal Steinbrenner has been saying. And, you know, regardless if you think you want to go or you think it's a good idea or not, these owners are going to try everything they can to get something. And that is why it's likely to certain it will happen if there's a base. If they finish the season, it's certain. But I can't guarantee it because who knows if they finish or not. But I do think this is inevitable. And I think we're starting to see this around um, sports as well. The uh, The one thing I want to relate this to is the NFL, who are at, who are preparing to allow fans ent- to enter the stands. I don't know if there's going to be a reduced number. But what they're trying to do now is they're trying to get fans to sign a COVID-19 waiver, hmm. you know, holding the team not responsible for this. And the one thing that scares me is, if these teams in the NFL don't put a limit on their stadiums, I do think it's in- inevitable that they s- they sell out every single week, no matter how bad these cases are. I do think that they will get people to sign this, and I do think that they can fill a stadium. I, I don't know where you relate to that, but going back to baseball, these teams are going to try everything they can, whether or not people deem it safe, and that is why it's, in my opinion, it's inevitable that they show up some point during the season, even, even if it's in September or closer to the playoffs. Yeah, I think, um, you know, even, uh, like you said, if they play this season in full, if they finish the season, I think it's certain, but it's not certain that we do finish the season. But, you know, even right now in my hometown of Nashua, New Hampshire, um, there's a college baseball summer league here where, you know, college players play in the summer when they aren't getting playing experience. And we all thought that this season was going to be canceled to begin with. Instead, it's being held. They actually just held opening night um, on July 2nd, and they're actually allowing fans, the Nashville Silver Knights. Um, they play at the historic Holman Stadium, which actually, fun fact, was the home of the Nashua Dodgers, which was the first integrated team, professional sports team in North America. A little bit of fun history. Um, but they have fans. They're, it's at 25% seating capacity, and there's ushers that will escort you to the seat, and there's seats that are you know taped off so no one sits in them. But 
that they're playing baseball and, you know, whether it's responsible or not, but they're playing it with fans. So I think it's certain that we'll see by the end of the season, at least one of the teams in Major League Baseball play games with fans. Yeah, the scary part is, is what I'm thinking too, is I think it's going to be more than two. I think it's going to slowly, slowly creep up. But hey, every state's been different from what we've seen with COVID. Who knows where we are with the numbers? And the one thing that, the one thing that I wonder is if, if the Jays get clearance, if they end up allow, allowing anybody in Rogers Center, because first of all, we know the cases in Canada are, are trending in the right direction, which is down, which is great. Today was a, a new low in Ontario, I think, for the first time in months. It was around 121. So that's crazy to think. But I know, you know, I know the mayor of Toronto, John Tory, has come out and said, well, back in March, saying fans in the stands won't, won't even be considered until the fall. I do think that if things continue to go in the right direction, I do think it's something that they're going to be considering. You know, I know Canada's been a lot more cautious with this, which is why I still think it's unlikely for a Jays game to sell out. But for teams in the States, I do think it's possible. And I do think it's going to get to this point with sports. I do. Regardless if you call it responsible or not with COVID cases, I think it's going to be up to the people soon if they feel comfortable going. And for those who don't, they won't go. And for those who do, I think they still will go. So Called me crazy or not, I think that's where we're going to be trending by the fall. Ho- hopefully, cases are better, um, and hopefully, you know, by the fall in Canada, the, the the curves flatten. But you know, we want to see the states get better because a or the biggest X factor here is they're pretty much the hub for all of these North American, you know, all these North American sports. This is where it all pretty much flows out of. So you want to see them get better. But I think fans in the stands is inevitable. Who knows how many teams do it? But I do think it's going to happen. August or September is my timeline. Yeah, and just a sign of how far south things have gone. You know, the NHL is having both of their hub cities in Canada, Edmonton and Toronto. So, like, yeah, it, it obviously all of this relies on what happens elsewhere, but I think it's certain. And, I mean, whether fans actually decide to go is another question, but like I mentioned, the Nashua Silver Knights, they have a 25% seating capacity right now, and they sold out their opening night game. So, Would you feel comfortable going to that? That's a good question. I wanted, I was looking at tickets for opening day. and um, Yeah, because if it's 25% to 30, I'm, you know, you're definitely not sitting beside anybody, right? You're probably separated by, what, at least three, four, yeah. five seats, maybe even a row? Yeah, yeah and the, the stadium itself is pretty small, so I guess my biggest concern would be, like, walking around the concourse and, like, whatever, like, going to the bathroom and stuff, but... Um, I don't know. We'll see if how the season pro- progresses and whether I will decide to go any game to any games. But I certainly want to. I want to watch live baseball. For but, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, that wraps it up for me. So I hope you enjoyed that. That was fun. Yeah, that was really fun. Thank you for doing that, Bryson. And thank you to everyone for listening to this podcast. As always, you can rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, if you enjoyed it, just tell a friend about our podcast. That does it for us this week. Next week, hopefully we'll be back with some more baseball news, getting some media out of summer camp at the Rogers Center and perhaps a picture into what the Blue Jays' regular season will look like. But for now, that wraps up things with us. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.